Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we've got special guest Stephanie Chappelle. We want you to know this podcast was recorded before the COVID-19 outbreak here in the United States. Our hearts and prayers are with each one of you. We know that the whole world is going through a difficult situation, and so many of you are leading in very challenging times. Our hope is that this podcast will be a blessing to you and encourage us to continue to be better leaders when the world needs it most. Thanks so much. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad to have everyone back. Why do you always go first? Well, leaders lead. Leaders (laughs) eat last. That's something else. (laughs) It's a good book. (laughs) Darn it. It's a good book. I don't, that's not my personal life motto. Yeah. Leaders eat often is my (laughs) personal life motto. Well, you're kind of like, you know, back in the Back in the days where they'd have that one guy who would have to test all the food, make sure the king didn't die. Yeah. Nehemiah. That, <laughs> I wasn't thinking of him specifically, but yeah, that works. I feel like that'd be an ideal job for you. Yeah. You know? Well, hey, man, this Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, or as most of us are more familiar with it, Easter. I grew up in a church where it was like, if you were an insider, you called it Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. Cause no Easter bunnies at your church. No, 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 no hunting for eggs. Just, <laughs> just hunting for an empty tomb. You know, <laughs> we didn't That's go down. A nice the, way to put it. Yeah, we rejected those pagan representations of of uh, our holy moments. Yeah. Well, but looking sounds forward fun. To it. It's always a great weekend uh, in the local church, and for you, you have a huge event coming up this weekend. Yeah, yeah, we do our youth convention, New York State Youth Convention, so we'll have about 2,500 people there, and amazing. it'll be a, be a fun time. Yeah, if you're listening, lift up uh, Jared and his team in prayer. They'll have, like he said, a couple thousand yeah. students from all over New York gathering in Syracuse for a great weekend, and one of, and actually your speaker is one of our previous podcast yes. guests. Yes, Dr. Melissa Alfaro is, yeah. our, uh, is our speaker, who has yeah. been on the podcast and was, was excellent. If you haven't listened to that one, in particular, her one on... Uh, preaching was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I wish you would listen to that one again. <laughs> I need to. I really do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, going to be a great weekend and, and uh, happy Easter to everybody. Hopefully mm-hmm. you love Jesus a little bit more. Yep. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Yes. Well, we're excited about today yeah. because we have friend back, back on yeah. one of our great friends. And uh, if if you did not hear the story of how the Multiply Podcast was birthed, go back to the first episode with <laughs> Stephanie Chappelle, because I told a little bit about that story, and uh, it's really powerful. Um, but we're excited to have her back and, and talk a little bit dis- of uh, discipleship today. So we want to welcome back to the podcast, Stephanie Chappelle. Uh, actually, Dave, why don't you, yeah. I'll let you do the intro. I don't want to steal all the thunder here. Yeah. Well, if you missed the first episode, again, go listen, because uh, Stephanie serves as a national field director for a great ministry called Chi Alpha that are on college campuses all over um, that are discipling students, helping them to find and follow Jesus. And she shared a lot about what Chi Alpha is about. We won't have her do that again on this episode, so make sure you listen to that one on the last one. But Stephanie, thanks for coming back and being a part and enduring Jared one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, friends. Thank you so much. Great to be back with you guys today. Hey, today we want to talk about discipleship. And and really what we want to talk to you about is some of the timeless aspects of discipleship, but also some of the timely things that are happening within discipleship. Because Chi Alpha is right on the cutting edge of the generational shifts because you're on college campuses. And so um, we're hoping that today in our conversation we can identify and pull together, and you can help us do this, some things that never change 
when it comes mm-hmm. to discipleship and then some things that you're learning, whether it's methods um, or language sure. that are sure. um, informing the way that you guys are carrying out the mission God has given you to make disciples on the college campus. So mm-hmm. um, sure. maybe for a starting place, talk to us just about how you or maybe how Chi Alpha talks about and defines discipleship. Sure, happy to. Yeah, well, I, I think the first thought is to think, okay, well, what is discipleship? Then what is a disciple? And a disciple really is a student or a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, some might say an apprentice. Um, you know, when we think about being a disciple of Jesus, I'm a learner. I'm a, I'm a student of Jesus. And so Christian discipleship is really going to be the process by which we learn to live the way Jesus lived and to become like him. In some ways, to become his student, to learn his way. And I, I think about learning in any context. I was thinking earlier that I remember, uh, I think it was fifth grade learning long division. Now they're probably teaching that in like kindergarten these days, but you know, back in the day, uh, I remember, I remember the day learning long division and it was this, it was this noticeable, notable step where, where we had taken the things we had learned and there was a whole new context to apply it to. And I think sometimes that's a, a maybe a picture of our own Christian discipleship. Um, Cause I don't think our discipleship is like a, an upward and to the right line on a graph, but I do think some of the things that we learn in our relationship with the Lord, um, we live it out in one context. And then at some point later on in our lives, we revisit it in a new context. So there are things that I'm, the Lord is doing in my life now that he's done in other ways other ways and other times, but I'm in a new context, a new age, a new place in life, and I'm kind of learning again how to live that out uh, in this new context of my life. And so that, I think about Christian discipleship, but as a practice, uh, discipleship, I would say, is really the intentional relationship. It's an intentional relationship for the purpose of spiritual formation. Uh, And I'd say intentional relationship is the key and and I, I, we'll probably talk at some point, just as Jesus as our model of that. But um, I think I mentioned in the the last podcast, my national director regularly says the kingdom of God is established in relationship, and I think the intentional relationship that is reflected uh, or is lived out in the practice of discipleship is the key element here, in order for us to be able to engage with the Lord and allow him to have the, the, the space he wants in order to be able to continue to, to grow us, to become like him. One of the things I love about the definition, intentional relationship for spiritual formation, is it, it allows us to think of discipleship in every area of life and yes. not just something that yes. happens in a classroom or in a church gathering. Yes. But also, yes. and, I, and I don't know where you fall on this conversation, but um, it also allows us to think of discipleship pre-conversion and post-conversion as opposed yes. to the dichotomy of evangelism and discipleship. And it's, 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 it's vernacular, but it's actually, I think, a little more than that because it allows us to have a more holistic approach to um, spiritual formation, relying yes. on the Spirit for the moment of conversion, and yes. just believing that whether they are, whether we are discipling, discipling them to Jesus or discipling them in Jesus, ultimately... Yes our responsibility remains the same, which is to point them to Christ and yes. to share our lives in a meaningful way. You know, Jesus didn't say, as you are going, make converts. He said, as you're going, make right. disciples. And, make disciples. And Jesus was discipling his followers before they were probably actually converted by the Spirit. Yeah. And so yeah. talk yeah. a little bit yeah. about, I know Kyle is very much based on biblical principles of discipleship. Can 
as, as we start by looking at some of the timeless principles of discipleship, talk to us a little bit, and you already kind of referenced this, when we look at how Jesus intentionally shared his life with his disciples for the purpose of spiritual mm-hmm. formation, what are some principles that we can draw from that that we say, like, this just doesn't change? Sure. Well, let me let me say this, too, just in, in um, follow-up to what you just said. There's a part of my story that I didn't share in the last episode that includes someone literally sitting down with me on a weekly basis, making space for me to ask questions about mm faith and about scripture. I had, because of Chi Alpha's influence, I had started to explore faith. And then the beginning of my senior year of college, I ended up getting a job that, as I look back now, was a job on campus. I don't really think I was qualified for, but the um, the position came with a staff advisor who at one point just asked me where I was in terms of a relationship with God. And I remember telling her, I, I don't even know if I believe in God. I, I just kind of got into that place. I was real crisis moment. I hadn't really followed the Lord at all before then, but I had just gotten so disillusioned. She started to tell me her story. I didn't I didn't know they call it a testimony, but she just told me her backstory. And I remember thinking, wow, I feel like this person could understand my life because she shared the reality of her life. She shared some of her own brokenness. She shared, you know, hope streams, all the stuff. And she followed up with this question. She said, would you like to meet once a week and just talk about the things of God? And I meant to say no, <laughs> but yes, literally, yes came out of my mouth. We were driving on a highway, driving probably 65 miles an hour on this big open highway. And I remember as soon as I said yes, I remember thinking, I can't get out of the car. <laughs> I'm stuck. But for some reason, after I said that, I just started to get this growing interest, growing hunger. So she and I would meet at the end of the day in her office on campus. And I went out, I had gotten a Bible, and, and she said to me, she said, do this. She said, just come with questions. She said, if I know the answer, I'll tell you. If I don't, then we'll we'll learn together. And the credibility of that was so essential for me because I knew she wasn't trying to just, she wasn't trying to play me. She just, she was going to, she was in with me in this process. And so we started meeting week after week, just talking about the things of God. And somewhere in that process, I said yes to following Jesus. So I, I think that just David, what you were saying, the discipleship process started for me long before I said yes to following Jesus. And the principle, uh, I would go to uh, Mark chapter 3, where it said when, when, when Jesus called the disciples, his first disciples that he called to him, it says he called them to be with him, and then he sent them out. And the withness part was so important. Um, and I still think that's important today. That, that speaks to me of the kind of relationship he called them to be with him. They weren't project. They weren't the means to the end. That was a relationship that mattered. And similarly, I feel like that 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 one story I just told, there was a witness as I was exploring faith. There was someone who was with me in this process. And I so I, I just can't emphasize enough the, the, the value of witness, which is so like God. I mean, if we look at the, the very beginning of, of the story of Christ, he's Emmanuel, God with us. We we then jump over to Mark chapter 3 here, where it says he called them to be with him. And then at the end, before Jesus is ascends to heaven, he says, you know, he sends them out and he gives them the great commission. He says, I will be with you. Jesus's entire life speaks of with. And I think that's why this intentional relationship part is so valuable. I love that. Um one of the things that came to mind as you were sharing that is I know kind of I grew up in the church and the idea that I grew up with was 
uh, everybody was solely focused on a conversion moment, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. So, so instead of discipleship, it was, um, you just try to ask the person as fast as you can. Hey, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Sure. You know, right. um, which right. in your story sounds like would not have worked. And I'm interested to hear from you. Yeah. What are some, some of the other counterfeit forms of discipleship or some of the other kind of traps that, that we as Christians or the church tends to fall into that are not yeah. the Jesus model and, quite frankly, not what actually works? Sure. Yeah, I think I think if I were to take away the intentionality aspect, I think that can be troublesome. Um, now, let me say this. I, I, I do think we learn in other contexts. It's not only someone sitting across the room from you, you know, with the Bible open and answering questions by any stretch. I, I know that part of the way I've learned to worship is to be in a context where people were worshiping. No question. Part of the way I've learned to pray is to be, you know, some of the, you know, Sunday night extended altar services, you know, from back in the day where I, I heard people pray and learn to pray. But I do know that I, especially just kind of knowing myself as well, I know that it took someone sitting down and intentionally walking me through how to pray out loud um, and and really only telling me, hey, I need you to pray for me. And it was one of my one of my mentors, one of my disciples after I had become a Christian. And I remember she came to me and she said, "I, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? And I was terrified, completely terrified, terrified to pray out loud, to even open my mouth. But she wasn't going to let me out of it. She and I were in relationship at this point. She was a trusted person. So she said, this is what I need prayer for. And she sat down and closed her eyes and waited for me to pray. <laughs> and I, Honestly, had she not done that, I think it would have taken me a much longer time to gain the courage to be able to pray out loud in front, front of somebody. I remember the time praying something ridiculous about mustard. I still this day I was like I look back and I'm like, what was I praying about? Well I, I, I hate mustard em- too. So I <laughs> yeah. But I remember being embarrassed when I said it, opening my eyes and she didn't even flinch. She was still leaning in, showing me what it was like to lean in. And so again the intentionality of that I think is important. And if we if we lose that, if we don't have that intentionality, I think that what we do is just kind of assume people will pick things up along the way. Some people do pick some things up along the way, but I don't think that, um, I, I think that could potentially, I don't know, I just know I needed someone to to sit with me and walk me through the first time how to pray out loud. So I, I do think, um, yeah, so I don't know if that's so much a counterfeit or maybe a, a hindrance to development, someone's spiritual formation, uh, that at least I'm grateful for my mentor who over overcame that by by the intentionality? I think I think sometimes too some discipleship relationships can be unhealthy. Um, I do remember at one point meeting with some students years ago, and uh, I had to travel the next week or something. And uh, I said, "Hey, I'll be out of town." And I remember one of my students one, uh, said, "Well, what am I going to do next week if you're not here?" And I was mm. like, "You're going to serve God." <laughs> You're going to pray, you know, and so and I so I do think there's the potential of um, maybe some unhealth if we're not careful, if we're not cognizant of that. I've seen some heavy handed spiritual authority and discipleship relationships that I don't think is um, I don't think frees people to walk with God. I think it makes them dependent on on their uh, their mentors. Um, so th- those are a couple things that come to mind. I think that um, it, as you were just saying that, I thought, like, what are some of the wrong targets in discipleship um not so much that they're not 
eventual outcomes, but if we make them the primary outcome, we can either short we can shortcut or even just um, uh, sure. destroy a discipling relationship. And and uh, when I think of um, you know when the primary target is just behavioral change, yes, and exactly, because there's so yeah. many things that we can leverage besides love for Jesus to get people mm-hmm. to change the way they live, right? Yeah, and so. Right. What happens, and I saw this in youth ministry, is that you find someone who has a heart idol for approval, and mm-hmm. they've been looking for approval in all the wrong places, and now they feel like they've found a new place to get approval. Right. And so yes. they start behaving, and they respond to the per- you know the person who's discipling them. They respond to their attention, and to their approval, and to their affirmation. But all along the way, you've you if behavior is the primary target, then there's shortcuts to it. And then the other thing I thought of, because you were just saying like this sort of unhealthy codependency that can happen in a discipleship relationship, is when the primary target is community. Now, of course, community is a big part of being uh, a disciple. But when that's the primary target, as opposed to um, love for Christ and love for his mission, then, you know, I I forget who said it, but um, I, I forget, but it was something like this. If the church aims for um, community, they can lose their mission, but if they aim for mission, community mm-hmm. comes along with it. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. speak a little yeah. bit to the, f- to the idea that, and I've, I've heard this in Chi Alpha circles over and over. So I know that this is the heartbeat of Chi Alpha. It's not just about making disciples. It's about making mm-hmm. disciples who make disciples. Yes. And ultimately absolutely. the ultimate outcome of discipleship is, is that it's, it's a reproductive, it's a handing off of the mm-hmm. faith. It's Timothy handing mm-hmm. it off to others to, who can teach it to others who can be entrusted with it. Speak a little mm-hmm. bit to um, that metric, uh, the timeless nature of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, that's really, that's so much the core of who we are. In so many ways, we live by Second Timothy 2.2, just as you said, David, the, you know, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who can then entrust, you know, teach others. And, and that, that just has to be it. Um, in, in, in anything we do with this, it's, I mean, it's, you know, we'll take it as a, a thank you, Lord, if someone develops and grows in terms of their faith. But if they don't don't then give away what they have, if they don't then offer what they have to someone else, you got to wonder if they did they get it. You know, is mm. this is this just uh, wow, I feel good because, you know, I, I, something happened in my life and I, I like this community. As you said, I like this community that I'm in or you know, I feel better about myself or, you know, whatever was promised to me. If I said yes to Jesus, these, all these things will happen to me. Like, do we really believe the gospel is the gospel mm-hmm. if they're then not willing to be able to say and lean into someone else and say, man, this, this thing is real. And it kind of reminds me of, um, I remember years ago, oh, a trip to Israel and sitting on the, um, my dad and I were sitting uh, for lunch just over the Sea of Galilee, and I remember thinking and, and learning, you know, the, the, the Sea of Galilee has this has this inflow, and then it has an outflow, and of course there's life in the Sea of Galilee. Compare that to the Dead Sea, which has an inflow but no outflow, and of course we know, you know, a lot of people go and they'll float in the, the Dead Sea, and it's, from what I understand, it's minerally rich, but because it's got, because there's no outflow, there's no life in it, and to say that it's, um, I've read that it's, even though it's minerally rich, it's, it's almost too much to extract that out. Hmm. And I realized, I realized that when there's the inflow and the outflow, there's life with the Sea of Galilee. There's, there's something coming in, there's something going out. And boy, they, you know, we, we see all over the New Testament, you know, they were fishing there and everything, but the Dead Sea, 
at this point, really all it's good for is your flesh. <laughs> you know, I mean, people go in and put it on their skin. So you have the inflow, but no outflow. And that's good for nothing but our flesh. And if we're going to see people follow Jesus, we can't see them make, we can't see them or, or ourselves make decisions that just amplify the flesh, which is sometimes what happens when we say, okay, well, you know, I like what I got, but I don't feel any sense of responsibility to introduce anybody else to this amazing God who saved my life, you know? And so that's kind of a, an illustration that I've used with our students in the past to say, you know, we don't, we, we love the inflow, but for there to be life, there has to be the outflow. And on a practical level, I remember for me thinking, when I first became a Christian, I was so amazed at what this amazing Lord had done in my life. I, just, I was like, I just want my friends to know about this. And so it, it just had to be part of the process of giving myself away and investing myself into others and then helping them recognize to do the same. Stephanie, one of the things that we wanted to talk with you about, of course, is the timeless principles mm -hmm. of discipleship. But sure. it's also really interesting to hear from you about the timely principles. And um, in particular, mm -hmm. like we'd love to hear what's happening on the college campus now mm -hmm. that is maybe unique. Sure. What does discipleship look like to young adults, to college students um, sure. now that maybe is different than it's been or is, uh, is a timely approach? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's an excellent question because we are still learning even, um, you know, what's going on on the university campus. What are some of the, um, yeah, what are some of the things that we're facing around the country? And I will, um, I, you know, every culture and generation has its own unique challenges. I mean, I, I think about, gosh, what was it like to, to be a disciple of Christ and to live in Christian discipleship? you know, during the civil war and, you know, all these things like there's, there's a uniqueness. And so the uniqueness to what we face now includes some of the things that we just see on a practical level on the campus with regard to the extreme amount of anxiety and depression um, that we face. I, I spent five years living on a university campus from 2011 to 2016. And um, I, so I lived right in the, in a residence hall and I was available for students to come talk to. I served as a chaplain in residence and it was stunning the number of people who would come to me and they would say things like, I'm the only one on this campus who doesn't have it all together. Hmm. And I'd say, Oh, I, you know, I'd say, honey, I, I can't tell you who sat here yesterday because of confidentiality, but I promise you, uh, someone sat in the exact same spot and said the exact same things. You are not alone. But the the fear of being that way, the fear of being alone in the depths of their anxiety and depression was pretty intense. But then the other thing, there was, I almost wonder if there wasn't a lot of self-diagnosis. You know, one of my colleagues said she she finally started asking, is this a diagnosed anxiety disorder or are you feeling anxious in general? Like, you know, like, are you just struggling because you're, you're, you know, because you're having a tough week or are we dealing with a medically diagnosed thing? Because that will help me know how to approach this. So I do think that's one of the things that we face. And, and in practical level, um, we're, we're in a place we've never been before with the amount of just with some of the connection, um, some of, I guess the connectedness, the, the blessing of our, technological advances i'm not sure we had we have the moral structure or the emotional structure to be able to carry some of the weight of that hmm. and so having um, all these things available to us only amplifies the problem of distraction and i do think that one of the main issues that we need to 
help students process is in terms of discipleship is the problem of distraction. It's a significant challenge. I mean, I, I'm, I'll say this for me. Why is it that when I'm sitting and reading the word, why do I kind of un, unthought or without even thinking about it, reach for my phone <laughs> when it hasn't, you know, dinged or binged or anything like that. What is it about this addiction we have to these kinds of things that are available to us? I think that's, it's certainly unique to uh, this particular generation because it wasn't that long ago uh, that we didn't have some of these things so available to us. Um, so the, the constant connection, the constant motion, um, our exposure to stillness and quiet is so limited um, we, we, we don't know how to be still. We don't know how to wait because we're used to having everything. Um, and it's, it's in the waiting and in the stillness. That's part of how we are formed to become like Christ. Um, and I know this isn't unique only to the university campus, of course, and lots of books are being written about it now, but the students that we're dealing with, that's all they know. Hmm. They don't know anything else. And so that forms the way you think when you don't know anything else, other than, you know, I've, I've had a smartphone, you know, since I was in elementary school. I, I read, I think it was John Mark Comer. You may have heard his, of his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. He quotes, he quotes a 2016 um, study that said, on average, uh, people touch their smartphone over 2,600 times a day. And um, you just got to wonder how that's forming us. Yeah. Um, and so there are some things that we may think are, are neutral. I don't know that they are neutral. And those are the kinds of things we're having to deal with now that we just didn't have to deal with before. It's amazing that, and I think you're, you're pushing in on something that's way overlooked and under and under uh, rated um, in mm -hmm. its potential negative impact on spiritual formation. It's amazing to think that, you know, Eugene Peterson's well-known book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, which mm -hmm. is subtitled Discipleship in an Instant Society, that's 40 years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, Forty years ago, yeah. he was already yeah. saying we're an instant society, yeah. and this yeah. Sunday actually we're we were in an eleven week series of the Book of James, and this Sunday I'm in the middle mm -hmm. of James chapter five, where he's talking about being patient. Specifically, mm -hmm. the context is patience and suffering, but just general mm -hmm. patience and even patience towards others. And so I've been studying up on it a lot this week, and I came across an article on the Boston Globe from the Boston Globe, which is a few years old now. It was entitled "Instant Gratification is Making Us Perpetually Impatient," and yeah. there's so much re research and study that has been done that that supports what you're saying. But the implications mm -hmm. of it, we won't. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we can mm -hmm. fully appreciate it um, right. for a little while. But but I think that um, the hurry, the the sort of the mm -hmm. counterfeit connectedness, you yeah. know, discipleship yeah. doesn't happen quick, and everything in this right. world happens quick. Um, yes. Discipleship requires real relationship real community yes, it does. and we have so many we have so much access to counterfeit community and so many mm -hmm. ways to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're in meaningful relationships when we aren't and so mm -hmm. i can see how that provides some really unique challenges on the college campus for chi alpha because your mission is to make disciples what are right. some things that the healthiest strongest chi alphas are doing to sort of push back against all of those challenges and, and to create mm -hmm. community and mission um and the and the long-term view of discipleship mm -hmm. yeah that's a yeah great question as well they so i i always come back to um we just the, the basics i mean what are the basics that are non-negotiables and again relationship time you know we um 
I always think there's this one really great um, uh, clip of a football player in from North Dakota State, and he's going to catch the ball, and he jumps up, and and over the head of the guy who's trying to block him, he reaches up, grabs it over his head, pulls it back over the defender's head, and then is able to run in and get a touchdown. Well, he didn't he didn't practice that. He, mm. They never did that drill. What they did is they did the basic drills over and over and over, and he got so good at the basic drills that when needed, he could jump over the defender's head, grab the ball on the other side of his head, pull it back, and then you know spin around and make the touchdown. So for us, the basics or the drills come down to um, what a lot of our groups, and I, I think I think you guys have heard some of this. Um, what a lot of our groups call the three R's: real relationship, or I'm sorry, real devotion, real community and real responsibility. So if we keep coming down to real devotion, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? What does it mean to be able to engage with the word of God in a way that we don't just conform to it, but we're transformed by it. And that that's a big thing. I think just even David, in light of what you just said, like the quickness, it's, it's, it would be easy to depend on, um, was it Willard says the gospel of sin management Mm -hmm. by saying, okay, well, I see what it says in the word, I'll conform, you know, and even like, okay, well, I'm just, you know, I'm doing the right thing, but has it actually transformed us? Well, that takes time. Yeah. Uh, Learning how to engage with the Lord in prayer, learning how to engage in a small group as somebody sharing something that's going on in their life, the ministry of community there. What are the basics in terms of developing our relationship with God? What are the what are the drills that we can run when it comes to um, real community or real brother and sisterhood to love people when they are their messiest and to walk with them, to mourn with them, to celebrate with them? And so I, I think that our healthiest groups who know how to keep going deeper in the, the basics are the ones are seeing the greatest amount of fruitfulness in terms of students being transformed by the gospel. Um, I, I don't know that, I, I think our context is different, but mm-hmm. I think those stakes, as my friend Eli, our friend Eli Gautreau says, what are the stakes we need to, to bury deeper into Christ so that we could extend the tent uh, out of the Isaiah passage? Well, those stakes do include helping students um, know what it means to have a genuine devotion to Christ that costs us something. And I think that's a piece of it too. And that's part of the, the thing. Our devotion to Christ costs us. Um, and I'm not sure that the world we live in has a high expectation of what things should cost us. But to follow Jesus does cost us something. And again, the groups that I see around the country that seem to be healthiest and engaging students, they're not afraid to put before the students the cost of following Christ. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Stephanie. This is uh, this has been yeah. great. This is such, such powerful um, wisdom and in, in getting back to what the heart of discipleship is all about. And mm-hmm. uh, it's been amazing. We do want to end our time talking about not just uh, what great leaders do, but also what great eaters do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, so here's one of the big differences between David and I, amongst many, which I'm sure our listeners have picked up. But one of the big differences is I love sweets. David does not. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to support the sweets lovers out there and hear from you. What is, well, number one, first tell us, are you a sweets person? And if the answer is yes, 
what is your favorite dessert? Like, if you could have any dessert, what do you oh, have? Oh, well, it's 100% going to be something chocolate. Actually, chocolate on chocolate on chocolate. And if there's some dark chocolate in there, that's all the better. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a dark chocolate girl. So basically a chocolate-covered brownie with chocolate, um, you know, chocolate chips on it. So as <laughs> much chocolate as one could possibly have is exactly where it's going to be. Now, I know that sends me right into, you know, like a sugar coma or something like that. I'm okay with that. That's a risk you got to take. It's a risk you got to take. It's just, so if if there's like very little self-control. So I, I keep, I keep dark chocolate chips in my freezer and I just tell myself just a little handful, which is fine. (laughs) Except if you do it seven times a day. (laughs) (laughs) So chocolate on chocolate on chocolate for sure. Now is white chocolate a counterfeit for you? The chocolate or oh. do you like white chocolate? I yeah, I, I have I have no problems with white chocolate. Um there's something though about the richness of a dark chocolate color. Yeah. I don't know. It's like Pavlovian. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It just it, it everything. My my mind, my heart, my hand all get drawn toward that very thing. So I will. The the Here's the thing, though, because with the white chocolate, there's a little part of me is like, is it really? I don't know. Are they going to throw some coconut in there? Because I don't want that business, you know. <laughs> and so, so I, I have to get, usually get over a little bit of hurdle before I can fully give myself over to the white chocolate. But I'll do it. I, I'll, I'll get over it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's really part of the chocolate family. It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the chocolate family is embarrassed of the white chocolate yeah. child. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, technically, it's not even. Technically, it's not even chocolate. That's the other thing about white chocolate. Right. So. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm glad to yeah. know that you are in the sweets family, and yes. David is on the outsides. Yeah. We'll be praying for outside. him. Listen, my, uh, my, yes, we will. <laughs> my battle. My knee is bent right now. <laughs> <laughs> my battle to um, to stay even remotely healthy would be a lost cause if I loved sweet. So <laughs> I see it as yeah. a real grace from God. I'm like, and I do enjoy yeah. a good dessert every now and then. I just don't, yeah. it, I, I would go get another plate of real savory food before I would go up for mm-hmm. dessert. And my wife, by the way, is, yeah. is definitely in your guys' camp. She will skip dinner to get dessert. And, and oh, she's great nice. at making desserts, which is why you nice. are very lucky that you don't love them because you'd be an extra yeah. 150 pounds probably if you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely yeah, and th- lucky and lucky that you don't work in our office because some dear soul usually wants to bless us by bringing in donuts from yeah. you know like Springfield, Missouri is good for donuts. Someone will bring in, and I'm I'm typically like get behind me, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like when they walk in with right. their box of donuts with their big smile because they're blessing us. I'm like get behind me. Yeah, <laughs> you want me to like you for this, but I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for being with us. This has been awesome. If you missed the first Thank episode, you, we talk about leadership. Go back and check it out. It's a great blessing. Um, Stephanie, we appreciate you. We love you. Uh, and uh, thanks you so much for being with us on the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you I'm next grateful. time. Bye-bye.